Okay, let's uh, read from God's Word first of all before we uh, do anything else. So, uh, first of all, from Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I'm going to uh, see today that sometimes the, uh, the Father's love is something you ha- have to actually battle through uh, to hold on to in the face of uh, what life brings. And uh, you might not see that in the story as we read it first, but hopefully um, you'll see it later on. So Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin at verse 36. Luke seven thirty-six. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, answered his thoughts that he had not expressed out loud. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you, or I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil in my head, but she has poured perfume in my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you can remember that story for later on, let's read now from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Just beginning at verse uh, uh, 15. Verse 15. This is true of every believer here today. Romans 8 verse 15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, childship, adoption, however you want to refer to it. And by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let's just uh, read from verse 31. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake 
We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Not sure if we've been able to get that other clip or not. No, that's okay. Okay. Something I want you to see at the end, and we'll just uh, wait till then for another uh, clip. We, we actually just read there that, um, that the Holy Spirit um, is actually telling us deep within all the time that we are children of God. Uh, that's the voice, that's the tone in which he is speaking, and uh, we may not believe it, we may not have been fully able to receive it, but that's actually what's happening. You know, sometimes it's interesting when the ministry of Jesus is talked about in Isaiah chapter 42, it's described as leading the people of God in paths they've not gone in before. It's described as leading those who seem to be blind. Who is, who is blind like my servant? Remember we talked earlier today about a change of framework and this idea that we're loved, 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 full stop. The idea that we're loved and lovely in the Father's eyes. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us. That's the framework in which he operates. And yet so often we just don't hear that because we're living in another framework. We're living in the, the framework of loved if or loved when or these moving goalposts that we were thinking about earlier. And I think I want to just say on the basis of that, we read there about God being for us, not against us. Um, we, we need to hear that sometimes that is a battle rather than simply being an experience that we receive. I, I would love everybody to come into the assurance of the love of God, the way that I came into the assurance of the love of God when somebody just prayed for me and these goalposts just disappeared. And as I said earlier, that the face of the Father who judges me was just, and is disappointed in me, was pushed away forever. And center stage was the Father who loved me. I, I would love if it happened that way for everybody. You know, if it was if it was in my power, as it were, to be able to uh, give away the fullness of that experience, I would. I, I think you can give away something of it. What we've received, we can give away. But uh, it doesn't happen that way for everybody. And sometimes the truth to get into the, the love of God, the, the love that the Father has for us, the, the truth that the Spirit of God is communicating to us all the time, it does actually involve a battle. It, it involves a faith battle that we need to contend for and we need to win. You know, sometimes it can be interesting just looking at the Bible and working out the original hearers of a message. I, I was over in Pakistan not terribly long ago, and uh, I'm afraid I'm very simple about my guidance. Um, simply somebody said to me in Morak, would you go to Pakistan? And the diary was free, so we went. It's as simple as that. It's a bit like coming here today. I don't understand those who pray about things. I, I never know what I'm waiting for when I pray for something. If you're asked to do something and it's free, well, do it. And God will, God will bless, as simple as that. I was over in Pakistan. It was an interesting experience. We're told before we went that we weren't allowed to evangelize, that that was punishable by death. And uh, we got over, and the bishop there, who's, uh, I better not say his name, but uh, he showed us into this tent that seated about 3,000 people. And he said, uh, this is where you hold our outreach meetings tomorrow night. And I said to him, well, we've been told we're not allowed to do that. I thought I was coming to speak to pastors. And I said, is this legal or is it illegal? And he said, well, which, <laughs> which didn't exactly reassure me. You, you know, the humbling thing to me is that people gave their lives to Jesus every night, knowing what might befall them. I mean, we heard stories there of kidnapping, of torture, of people being killed, of friends of people being killed. They talked about that as readily and freely as we talk about the weather. And it just struck me that so much of the Bible actually only makes sense in that setting of battle. These words that we read from Romans chapter 8 
remember about the Spirit convincing us, speaking to us, telling us that we are the children of God. These words that we read at the end of Romans 8 about this amazing love from which nothing can ever separate us. Do you remember the wee bit that seems out of place there, but is the setting for it all? For your sake we've been given up to death all the day long. These words originally came to people who had every reason in this world to doubt the fact that God loved them. It came to people who were losing their property. It came to people who were losing their lives. It came to people who were losing their children. That's the setting of these words. That the spirit within is telling you God loves you. That there is a love from which nothing in life or death can ever separate us. That originally was a faith battle rather than simply a lovely experience in the midst of a charismatic meeting, such as I experienced. And I want to tell you, if you've not had a lovely experience, it does not mean there's something wrong with you. It means that God is giving you the honor of setting you amongst your first brothers and sisters in the Lord and saying, this is the ground in which people need to discover this. In the ground where everything in your experience seems to be contending against the idea that you have worth, against the idea that you have value. That's where you can actually discover this truth of the Father's love from which nothing can ever separate you. Have we forgotten what it was like at the start? Have we forgotten, for example, that John, who in his letter, his first letter, talks much about the love of God? Do you remember we throw away lines like, the reason the world doesn't recognize us is it didn't recognize him. If Jesus went merely by experience of life, he would never have believed the Father loved them. This was a truth to be contended for by faith. And that's why we often find Jesus in prayer, that he didn't just automatically go to where the, the busiest things were happening. He had to contend for the Father's love, not in the sense of making the Father love him, but in the face of everything that was happening to him that seemed to defy the truth that he was loved, loved, loved and that the Father was pleased with him. And so John says the world didn't recognize Jesus. The world did not treat him with honor. Life did not go well for Jesus in the worldly sense. You only need to look at the cross, that supreme injustice. This is a truth that even he had to hold on to by faith, by prayer, by wrestling in aloneness, by wrestling in the garden. So that he even got to the stage when on the cross, despite the blackness of it all, he could say, Father, into your hands, I commit or I commend my spirit. I wonder if you're going through a battle you know, the, the, the sad thing I have to tell you is each battle helps you to fight the next bigger one. I don't know if you've heard of a, a, a Greek wrestler called Milo. It's actually a favorite dog name for dogs in Wester Hills for some reason, Milo. I remember hearing Mike Breen say, you know, we've had Christendom. Why is it that we call our dogs Caesar and Nero? I mean, you don't call your dogs Peter and Paul or something. That's an interesting question. Why do we call our dogs Caesar and Nero? Well, in Westerhills, dogs are called Milo. And uh, Milo was a Greek wrestler. And he once waged a bet that he could lift a full-grown bull above his head. And somebody took the bet. And, you know, he did lift a, a full-grown bull above his head, but I'll tell you how he did it. He did it by, first of all, lifting a newborn calf above his head. 
And then he lifted the calf every day of its life. And by the time it was a full-grown bull, his strength had matched what was necessary to lift the bull. Jesus had lots of skirmishes where he could easily have doubted the Father's love for him. And he won through each of them. And then he was ready for his hour, the hour of the cross. So if you're facing something right now, and everything that I've seen just seems like the, the nonsense that ministers and preachers say, the Father loves you. You remember that it could have looked that way for Jesus. And we need to learn to do battle. To do battle in the strength of the Father's love for us. If you've got your Bibles, let's just turn to that story in Luke chapter 7. Because I, I really want to just follow this story through. Um, it's one of my favorite stories. And you can look at it from all uh, points of view if you've forgotten already. If your memory is like mine and you've forgotten the story and you've not got your Bibles, let me remind you that a Pharisee has asked Jesus to his house for a meal. And uh, in the midst of that meal, which probably would have been sort of taken place in a dining area, looking out onto the street, it was uh, an opportunity to show off your wealth and so on. And uh, so as that meal is happening, then a lady who's simply referred to as a sinful woman, she comes and stands behind Jesus, cries, wets his feet with her tears, dries his feet with her hair, anoints his feet with perfume and so on. Remember the conversation, Simon is thinking to himself, if this man were a prophet, that's what he's asked Jesus to his house to try and work out. If he were a prophet, then he would know this woman, what kind of woman she is, this woman that's touching him. And then Jesus has something to say to Simon and so on. So that's the bare bones of the story. You know, we can look at stories from all points of view, but have you ever looked at this story from the point of view of Jesus himself? Not Simon the Pharisee, not this sinful woman who gets the reassurance that her sins are forgiven, but the point of view of Jesus himself. You see, Jesus came into this world having left aside his divine glory Everything that he faces, he faces as one of us. He faces it like you and I would have to face it with no reserves of divine glory, no reserves of divine power or understanding that is not able to you and I, open to you and I as human beings. When you look at it like that, can you see what a painful experience this was for Jesus himself? Here was Jesus being publicly snubbed, being publicly humiliated, being publicly scorned. What do I mean? This was a culture where things like courtesy really, really matter. And here is Jesus. Under the guise of friendship, how cruel is this? He's been invited for a meal, and then in full view of all the other guests and everybody looking on, he's not given his place. He's not given any customary signs of honor. We read about that, didn't we? If you've got your Bibles, let's just uh, remind ourselves that Jesus actually um, speaks about it. He actually uh, says this in Luke chapter 7. He actually points it out to Simon. Verse 44, he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I come into your house under the guise of your friendship. You publicly humiliated me in front of everybody. You did not give me any water from my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't do what is customary to give to a guest of honor. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't think about my comfort in any way. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Saying, Simon, you've publicly done something very hurtful to me. You've humiliated me. You've treated me dreadfully. This is the sort of ground where Jesus himself had to contend 
for the Father's love. I was preaching not terribly long ago at a church in East Kilbride, and uh, I used this phrase that um, Jesus had become a human being. And part of our responsibility was to make the love of God human. And this man came up to me at the end just furious. And, and he simply denied truth out of his own mind. He said, Jesus is not a human being. He is mighty. Friends, in my understanding of the Bible, Jesus is God. He emptied himself of his divine glory. He became a human being. He is still a human being in heaven. And he still retains a fellow feeling for, his pain, for our pains. He shareth in our gladness. Remember, we sing it at Christmas time. And in our sadness. I wonder if you're going through a circumstance right now, and it's very difficult because of the way others are treating you, or life is treating you. It's really very, very difficult for you to hold on to the idea that you're honored in the sight of your God. Well, Jesus has gone through something similar. And when we're sure of the Father's love for us, we can negotiate this difficult ground. Do you remember me telling you about the promise of rest in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29? Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And Jesus is actually saying there, I can put a yoke on you that will help you make headway even through dark and solid and heavy and stony ground. And what is that yoke that we are to learn to put on? It's exactly what he said in the previous verse. Remember I told you, nobody knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So come to me. I'll put this yoke upon you. You can learn how to bear it. You can learn how to use it. And you can make headway. Even when the going is difficult, you can plow a straight furrow. And for some reason, as I was coming here today, I thought, well, we could apply the Father's love in all sorts of battle situations. But it was this story that drew my attention. Because often it's in our relationships with other people that our value and our worth gets dented by the way they treat us, by the things that they say to us or whatever. And I just want to point out one or two things here that will help you use the Father's love as a weapon, that will help you put it on as a yoke in order to make headway with people who do not seem to honor you as the loved and lovely child of God any more than they honor Jesus. Remember First John, the reason the world doesn't know us is it, doesn't, it didn't know him. It didn't recognize him as the son of God. It's not going to recognize us as the children of God. The whole of creation is longing for the day when that will happen. But we're not there yet. And the kingdom that we live in is a contested kingdom. And the Father's love is not something that everybody will treat us by. So how do we cope when we're facing difficulties in relationship that seem to, to, to just mock the very idea that we're precious to God? How do we cope when things are just difficult with human beings and they're saying things and doing things that are causing us pain and distress. Well, just some, some pointers here about how to use the yoke to, to, to plow a straight furrow. Uh, number one, did you know you're allowed to point it out when somebody's treating you wrongly? You don't just have to swallow it and keep it all in. Jesus actually pointed it out. He said, Simon, I've, I've got something to tell you. And he told all that that Simon the Pharisee had not done for him. Do you remember me telling you that lady that stumbled into church drunk the other night and I just, I just was so tired, I thought I can't be bothered with this. And it was as though God said to me, well, it's all right that you're tired. You don't actually have to do anything. Just 
just let me do this. And I felt the love of God as a, a warm fire that just I knew was going through me. And it touched her and she started to cry. She talked about the man that had raped her. She talked about being boarded up and, and him only taking the planks off when he wanted her to go out and buy cigarettes or, or, or alcohol or whatever. And she said, I've never told anybody that before. Could, could it be that there's something here that some of us are, are actually needing to speak about? It may be that God will give you the courage to speak to the person. It may be that that will be unwise, but you do need to speak about it somehow. Your story is worth hearing. Do you actually know that? And I think that somehow, I don't know, but I think that as believers, we've often been brought up with this idea that we, we fight and we've not to heed the wound. There's a famous poem about that. But actually, if you're wounded... Sometimes you need time and casualty. And sometimes you need to speak about where it's hurting. I think I told you last time I was here about a, a girl that I, I wear this bracelet because um, we've been helping her for a few years now and she was raped hundreds of times, sodomized by her father hundreds of times and uh, she found it difficult to trust me and my wife and then eventually she gave me this, um, this bracelet because she was beginning to trust, and it was a sign that she was beginning to trust. And she's spoken about things that she never had the courage to speak about before. And I'll tell you the inner change that has allowed that to happen, not only trusting us or people like us, but actually beginning to discover that her story matters because she is worth something. Did something happen to you? Or is something happening to you now? And almost there's been an imprisonment of secrecy placed upon you. If it's involved another person, do you know that's the way abusive people always look, always work? Don't tell anybody. This is our secret. And then you get abuse of church settings that tell people you have to fight and not heed the wound. And it gets pushed deeper and deeper and deeper. Jesus is our model in all things. He says it's okay to tell the story. It may be that you have to confront a bully. It may be that you have to confront a work colleague. It may be that, just be real, you've not got the courage to do that. But it would help to tell it to somebody. And that leads me on to the second point, that Jesus didn't speak about the wrong in a wide setting. He actually said, and I think he probably talked one-to-one, -one, he said, Simon, I have something to tell you. I, I've noticed this that sometimes people, when they're trying to get free, they actually talk so widely that it actually compounds the problem they then have to live with because it's not just one or two people that know, but everybody knows. And it actually leads to all sorts of difficulty in all sorts of other relationships within their own private setting, within the church setting, and so on. And so it sounds odd, but the next thing I want to ask you is, is are you speaking too much and too widely and to too many people? It's a good rule of thumb that when you've been wronged by somebody, it's quite good to try and contain the circle in which you speak about it to the size of circle where the damage is spread. R.T. Kendall has got a rule about this type of thing. He says, when you've been wronged, the way that you know that you're interested in mercy and forgiveness is really how widely do you speak about something. Because if you speak about it widely, it probably means you're not looking for healing for yourself. 
It means you're trying to bring somebody down in the eyes of other people. And the Christian world is quite good at gossiping. I'm only telling you this, brother, so you can pray for it. So if the first rule is speak about it, the second lesson I learned from Jesus is just be careful about how wide you speak about it. Do it with somebody that you trust. If you can't have it out, as it were, with the person, do it with somebody that you trust. And make sure as you do, this is the third point, that what you're aiming at, what was Jesus aiming at? He was actually aiming at bringing Simon into the ground of mercy that he wanted him to experience just as that woman had experienced mercy. And he told that story, remember, of two people who owed money, one a great amount, the other a lesser amount. And which one do you suppose loved the man more when he, when he wrote off both debts? And Simon says, I, I suppose the one who loved more. And then Jesus talks about the great love being demonstrated by the woman. But at the end of the story, you're left with this sort of feeling, who really is the greater debtor? This woman who knew her sin and was weeping with gratefulness for being forgiven. Or the hard-hearted religious Pharisee who had the respect of the religious community but had publicly humiliated Jesus Christ. And we're left with this unquestioned feeling Jesus is trying to bring him onto the ground of mercy and onto the ground of forgiveness. Because, you see, if we really believe in the love of God, as we're going to see in a moment from a, in a clip from Heidi Baker's work and ministry, love actually needs to look like something. And if we say we believe in this amazing love that God has for us, it has to look like something in the battleground of human life. And one of the things it looks like is mercy. If we say that we believe in the love of God the Father that loves us not because of anything beautiful about us, that sees all the sin and yet completely envelops us in eternal love, one of the ways we know that that is not just a head belief is if in the battleground or in this dark, cold earth where somebody is belittling you, snubbing you, rejecting you, holding you up to humiliation, you actually love with that merciful love that you've received. Now, I think I said when I was here last, I told the story of this uh, girl, and I wear this bracelet to remind me um, that I'm preaching to real people with real needs. It's, it's not my job to be eloquent or to be clever, but to help you find a straight furrow through difficult ground. And I remember having shared something of this girl's story, that somebody came up to me after a meeting somewhere, I can't remember where, and said, have you told that girl she needs to forgive her father? I felt that smacking her in the face. And you know what I said? I said, well, that day will come. But I said, at this moment, she's just beginning to tell her story. And for me to leap in with what she should and ought to do would be to increase the abuse. I said, the day will come when she needs to face up to forgiveness. But it's not now. But I'm wondering today if for some of you it is now. If it's not, that's fine. If there's still some speaking to do, that's fine. If there's still some telling the story to happen, that's fine. But I wonder if you're through with that. You've told the story enough. You've told it to enough people. You've told it in enough ministry settings. 
you've told it enough. And actually the choice now is whether you'll take this next step that Jesus took. Will you be redemptive in terms of that other person? Will you offer forgiveness and seek to bring them into the same love that you yourself have known? See, if we believe in unconditional love, then we're to show it. And when you forgive somebody that has not yet asked you to forgive them, well, to quote R.T. Kendall, you've only begun to be a little bit like Jesus. We, even before those who crucified him had repented, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Could this be the time, could this be the day when it's not enough anymore to talk or to talk to someone you trust or tell the story because actually you've done that for a few years now and now that talking has just become going round and round in circles. It wasn't at the start, it was helpful at the start, but now it's just going round and round in circles. Could it be that God is showing you the road off the roundabout today? onto a straight road that's going to take you somewhere in God you've never been before because you've been going round and round telling the story for a long time. And maybe for you, that road is mercy. That road is forgiveness. If that's difficult for you, then let's just watch a clip just as we draw near to the end and we're going to have another ministry time and worship time in a moment or two. But this is an amazing story. You've probably heard of Heidi Baker, just her, her work in um, Mozambique where she you know, takes care of hundreds of thousands of orphan children. She's established, I think, something like 10,000 churches at the last count. This is an amazing story. And uh, I've challenged you to take that road off the round of it. Not if you're not ready. But if you know that people have honored you enough to, to hear and listen to the story, could this be the road that you have to take today? Let's just listen and watch together. Jesus is good. Do you know that Jesus is good? He's good. He's good. Do you know that Jesus is good? I had a vision. I had a vision that changed my life and I'll never be the same. I saw um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of children and I, I thought, I don't want to see this. And I started screaming out loud, no, no. And then Jesus showed up. He looked at me with those eyes of love, those burning, shandai, burning, passionate, fiery eyes of love, just like, and he looked at me and everything just changed. He looked at me and he said, there's always enough because I died. There's always enough because I died. This little girl taught me what love looks like. She, she taught me what love and mercy looks like. I know what this little girl does. You know, she has to sell her body, her one-legged body to eat. She sells her one-legged body to get a piece of bread. She sells her one-legged body, her one-legged 10-year-old body to drink a Coca-Cola. You know, this is like, Somebody stop for one. Somebody, you know, this, this, this little girl is suffering out here. Like, the pain in her was incredible. And grandmother's a witch doctor. So when the house burned down and her leg burned off, 
grandmother said to the two older brothers, go out to the field and kill Helena. Kill her, stone her, because she's of no use to us. She's no value to us. She has no leg. So the brothers go out to the field and they throw rocks at her head and they think that she's dead. They think she's dead, but she's not. And she's lying there, bloody, broken, dying. This is so much. It's so clear. You can read the gospel and you can read it. And if you just talk to people and you don't understand that love looks like something and you just say to Elena, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. What a cruddy mess of a life you have. And you don't say to her, come home and live with me. Then love is it. I don't know what love is if it doesn't look like something. And one day, after a while, she just looks at me and she goes, Mama, I want to go home. And I, I just, I thought, no way. The, my first reaction was, no way. No way. Uh, no. I wanted to, I just said, no, no, you're not going back to that home. That's like, that's the most dysfunctional family that I've ever heard of. And I know a few, you know, it's like that one. No. And she said, what do you mean? How do you, do you think you told me about grace? She said, you said Jesus forgives. You said Jesus loves. You said Jesus loves. You said love looks like something. You said, you said mercy. She said, how can I not go home and tell my family about Jesus? How can I not go home and tell them about love? I just pray for radical love to just rock this generation, God. I ask you for love to just come in and, and, and stretch every heart, God. Show them what love looks like, God. Show them what love looks like, God. That they would just go out to the darkest places. They would go to the brothels. They would go to the drug dens. They would go to the streets. They would go to the villages. They would go to the universities and they would stop for the one. And they would, they would stop for the one every single day of their life. not complicated. It's just stop for the one. There's so many um, slogans there. There's always enough. Stop for the one. Love needs to look like something. I said before that sometimes when we talk about father heart type of stuff, it's all just about very gooey, very sentimental type of coming into an amazing experience of the presence of God. And that's all wonderful, and I've known that, and I don't want to take away your desire for that. But I'm saying that sometimes we come home to a deeper understanding the love of God in the battlefield. I wonder if your response today needs to be, if I believe in this love of the Father, I need to stop for one. I wonder if it is that you realize because Jesus has died, there's always enough resources from heaven to help you help that one or that one more. But I wonder if for me the biggest challenge of that whole DVD isn't that little girl that having been stoned and left for dead said, I want to go home now. How can I not go home when you've told me about the love of God, how can I not go home and pass that on? And taking it very specifically, I have wondered, thinking of this conference, is it time for some of us, maybe literally to go back home and forgive? Maybe to write a letter Maybe to make a phone call. So sad, isn't it? My father died a few months ago. And uh, he's a lovely Christian man. And it was the greatest honor of my life to be with him at the point of his death. And he'd always shown me nothing but love throughout my whole life. But you know, it was sad because at his funeral, there was an uncle there, a, a brother of my dad's. 
that I've never seen. I think I saw him once in a garage getting petrol. And I'm 54. So many families torn apart by issues of forgiveness. Do you literally need to go home from this conference to forgive someone? To make that phone call? To pay someone a visit? And if you know that the time would not be right for that, that it wouldn't be received, you can still do something before you leave. You can forgive from the heart. And if you forgive from the heart, you'll stop going round and round the roundabout of your own heart. And you will find yourself getting somewhere in God that you haven't been able to get to before. Love's got to look like something when we go home from this place. Let's just shut our eyes for a moment. And I don't really want to do anything else, but as we bow in God's presence, is it time to forgive? Remember, I'm not forcing anyone any more than I force some of the the, 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 the people back home in my own congregation who've got horrendous stuff to come to terms with. Okay, you've been humiliated, you've been rejected, you've been treated shamefully. So was Jesus. Because he knew the Father's love, he found a way through that. Is it time to forgive? Is it time to give away the love of the Father to someone who's sinned against you? Is it time for you to realize there's nothing wrong with you that you haven't received some blinding revelation in a moment of spiritual ecstasy? There's times where you have to battle through for the greatest victory. Is it time for you to believe in the love of God by faith? And then thirdly, is it time to remember faith without action, without works, is dead faith? Love must look like something. Maybe for you it will look like mercy. Maybe for you it will look like practically helping the one. Love must look like something. It will help you to plough, even in the hardest ground, the most difficult relationship, and to reap a harvest. Let's sit with that for one minute. I'm just going to ask the worship guys to come back. That would be really good. And in 10, 15 minutes, we're just going to close with worship where we'll all join together. But a day like this, it's good to just create opportunities for uh, prayer and so on. So we're going to do that, just as we did this morning. So if the worship guys can come and the prayer ministry team, that would be really good. And just uh, as they're coming, Father, we just um, we honor you as um, the one who loves us unconditionally. We honor the story of Jesus, that he had to spend time with you to reaffirm himself in that truth. We acknowledge, Lord, that sometimes even those who are much loved by you have to pick up many crosses. And we simply pray for help in the battle to receive and to give your love away, to make time for the one to remember every day that the love in which we believe must look like something in our lives. And I pray especially, Lord, for those who still need to tell their story, help them to tell it to the right people. I pray for those who've told their story and now need to move on, that you'll help us to forgive. And to find that that opens a door into your purposes quicker than almost anything else we could ever do. Because you've forgiven us so much. When we pass on mercy, we're never as in tune with your heart as when we do that. So come by your Holy Spirit, we pray. and Just bless us whether we sit or come for prayer or stand or kneel in your presence or just bless us with your presence, with your truth that sets us free. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray.
So let's us this morning, folks, if you want prayer, no more pressure. There's people here. doesn't matter if anybody comes or nobody comes. But if you want prayer about something that God has said into your heart, then uh, just come and receive prayer. It might be something said in this afternoon session. It might be something that came up in your heart because of the, the truths that were spoken about this morning. So just um, come relatively quickly. We're aiming to end about four o'clock, and it'd be good just to offer this opportunity for prayer and uh, prayer uh, team people just try and hear the story briefly and then just wait in God for a moment and just pray into that person's life whatever you feel God is saying and the rest of us let's just be in the presence of God thinking over these things worshiping whatever we want to do so if you want prayer just come now